Podcast. to crossing 2,000 plays on the fields and it brings me so much joy. I feel like a proud parent saying this. So thank you for coming along on the ride on this journey to becoming more human when we have these conversations that help us get to know ourselves a little better. We also find a piece of ourselves in others. So on that note, today's guest is Dr. Claudia Ajire. We call her doctor because she has a PhD in neuroscience, which makes her a neuroscientist. How cool is that? As a neuroscientist, she studies or has been studying and will continue to study everything to do with the brain. But within the world of neuroscience, she has found her niche in neuro wellness. That means everything to do with beauty, skincare, whatever makes you feel good, whatever helps you perform better, whatever helps you experience life in a more beautiful, meaningful, healthier way goes back to taking care of our brain. And I guess you can say that the next 40 minutes is essentially your brain getting to know itself a little better. How's that for food for thought? <laughs> so how I found Dr. Claudia was actually through a TED Ed lesson that I happened to be watching. You know, one of those like animated TED Ed videos. And the one that I came across was the effects of sleep deprivation. And the educator for that video was Dr. Claudia Ajiri. So I looked her up and I realized that she just has a way of communicating science in such a relatable, enjoyable way and I emailed her. I was like, hey, Dr. Claudia, I came across your work on TED and I went to your website. I love what you do. I have a podcast. Would you want to come on the show? And to my surprise and also my absolute privilege, she responded saying yes. So she lives in LA. The time difference did not make this any easier, but I am so grateful that she took the time and energy out to appear on the feels. So if you like this episode, please give this page a follow and also give this a rating if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts. Without further ado, please welcome Dr. Claudia Ajiri. Well, first off, thank you for having me. This is, you know, this is always fun to be on a podcast, especially one across the globe, as you say, um, here from sunny Cali, normally, I guess pre-pandemic, I would have spent most of my time on an airplane. Um, just I've been, you know, traveling around the world, giving talks, um, you know, working with companies, doing product launches. So last year has definitely put the brakes on on a lot of things. Um, so it's nice to kind of just do everything virtually from home as well. So yeah, thanks for chatting with me. And I'm a traditional neuroscientist. That means I do have a PhD in neuroscience. Um, I studied molecular neurobiology, looked at the aging brain, but I have expanded so far from all of that. I mean, I, I, you know, I work with beauty brands. I work with meditation apps. 
I work with, um, you know, spa and kind of like sonic healing devices and some tech stuff, some artificial intelligence stuff. So really kind of across the board in like health tech and wellness. So there isn't like one main, main area that I concentrate on as long as it's about wellness and it has something to do with the brain, which is, which is just about everything. That's why I call it neuro wellness. Right. So What's a typical day like for you as a neuroscientist in the modern age? Because <laughs> growing up, I used to watch cartoons of scientists, right? And how they animate them is always like, oh, I'm wearing a coat. I'm in a lab. <laughs> so mm-hmm. what's a typical day like for you? Well, that's the thing is I'm not a typical scientist. <laughs> um, so before I, w- you know, during my grad school work, I was in a lab. I was wearing the lab coat. I was doing work on, you know, unfortunately on animals, um, slicing little brains to look at the hippocampus, which is the seat of learning and memory, to look at things about, you know, Alzheimer's disease and dementia. Um, A lot of it is just not me, let's say. Uh, Sitting kind of in a dark lab all day, not talking to a lot of people, it just wasn't me. I didn't really want to continue to do animal research. It's again, animal lover here. So it just wasn't me. I wanted to do something that I could still utilize my neuroscientific, you know, abilities and background and technical expertise, um, but apply it for a more practical way. One of my issues with academia in general is that I don't know if you've ever tried reading a scientific article, a paper in a journal. It's not written for people. It's, <laughs> it's specifically written for scientists. And it's almost like they don't want anybody to know. It's just, you know, in English, it uses the passive voice. The structure is really just so specific for academia. And and then, you know, you get into the data and everything is an acronym. And it's just like, it's ridiculous. Nobody can read that. So that was one of my main things is like, how can, how can we continue to, you know, create a better world as scientists, if we are putting a big wrench in the machinery of communication, we cannot communicate properly, generally, to, you know, to the average person. So I really wanted to start communicating science. And so for for me, my day is very different. One day I could be like, like here, you know, I could be doing a podcast or I could be um, filming videos, um, which is what I do a lot these days is a a lot of from home video filmmaking, um, explaining things. I work with animators and we create, like you saw those TED ed videos, which are TED education. So I'm an educator for them. I've been working with them for so long that, you know, I could just kind of shoot them an idea and they'll be like, yes, or they'll come to me and say, do you have any interesting ideas for a video that's going to go viral? Then yes, probably I do just based on what I read every day. <laughs> so yeah. So my day is very different. You know, back in pre 2020, it was uh, usually in some hotel in some country, <laughs> any country like Asia, Europe, um, Russia, like I've definitely have traveled around the world a lot and it would be doing press events so talking to the media or talking to um, consumers talking about the latest in health tech wellness conference things like that nowadays I have a toddler so my days are very limited and my working days are very limited Um, so between him and my senior dog Mm -hmm. it's a it's a lot of just chasing around (laughs) and I think that's what I found interesting about your work is that everything was so digestible just watching your TED at lesson, I was like, oh, cute cartoon, first of all. But like the information that I was getting from that, I was like, okay, this is easy to understand. You know, I don't have to break it down too much. And then when I was looking through your work, I was like, 
wow, this is so, it's interesting. You know, being a nerd is fun because you finally understand what you're reading, what you're digesting. So I really appreciate that about your work, actually. And I just thought it'd be fun to have you on the podcast to really talk about what goes on up there. (laughs) Thank you. Yes. You know, it's everything. And, you know, the lesson you mentioned, it's about sleep and we can talk about sleep in a bit, but what you basically learned is something that is so new in neuroscience that it's just not in the medical world even. It's not in the in the everyday talk. Now it's getting to be that. But when I wrote that, I wanted people to understand something called the glymphatic system. And it is something that was only published in scientific articles like that year, like a, a couple of years before that. Mm. So very, very cutting edge, new neuroscience that I kind of paint a picture of like stories. It's a story tell. It's storytelling. Um, but secretly you're learning a lot of neuroscience. <laughs> so you did mention that you've kind of moved out of the lab, so to speak, and really found you in the neuroscience mm-hmm. of it all. So what would what would you say is your passion within the world of neuroscience? My passion is neuroscience because it's um it's you were not done learning and you know who's telling you that that's the brain telling you that so you know it's it's like whoa the brain is telling me that I'm not done learning so there's got to be way more to it than this Um, it's pretty meta if you ask me (laughs) it is isn't it totally the the other aspect of it is you know I'm a mind-body expert so I learn a lot about the brain and the mind from the body which is a whole different you know field Um, and in neuroscience we weren't really taught like that, you know, it's in Western medicine in particular, if you were a medical doctor, you're a cardiologist, you focus on the heart, you don't know much about the skin. You're a gastroenterologist, you might know a little bit about the brain, but not really. It's just not your speciality. Neuroscience is actually an interdepartmental science, which is one of the very few that is focused on combining different departments, biology, physics, chemistry, etc., psychology, some philosophy. So I was already coming from that world. And and now, you know, I talk about all things, science and neuroscience. So that really is my passion and my drive because I could be talking about a yoga pose one day and a sleep position the next day. Right. So on that note, sleep positions, let's talk about that. Mm. I know you talk a lot about how it's important for our bodies to recharge through sleep. And I feel like that is That is like base level information that most of us know, right? That we're taught that, okay, Mm -hmm. we do have to make time to sleep as much as we have a lot going on. But from your point of view, from a neuroscientist point of view, what is something that we're not getting, like we're missing and we need to, well, learn a bit more, understand that it is important? I guess it was kind of the basis of that little TED lesson. And you could just find it. You can just Google TED sleep, Claudia. It'll pop up it's an it's a little animation the the key to sleep from my perspective from a neuroscience perspective is that it is the only time when we can clean the brain we know we needed to rest we know we needed to kind of recharge blah 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 but we physically throw the brain into a spin cycle and we do a wash and rinse and repeat (laughs) and so that is sleep and we go through these cycles and so if you don't have a minimum of say three rinse cycles per night, you're not washing that sock. It's going to be dirty the next morning, right? And so your brain continues to kind of accumulate all of this gunk 
And uh, it's not good 20, 30, 40 years down the line when the brain becomes kind of filled with, you know, it's not able to be as clean as possible. And it leads to neurodegenerative diseases, Alzheimer's disease, um, Parkinson's disease, Huntington's. These are neurodegenerative diseases that are implicated by a brain that hasn't been cleaned properly by sleep and obviously other things like genetics and lifestyle. But lifestyle is, is you know, we spend a third of our lives sleeping and uh, we need to be doing it better and right. Yeah, I think, I think that's a really valuable point that you brought up. And you know, I think people my age, especially like we're always hustling, we're always moving, right? And so I think the one thing that we tend to sacrifice would have to be sleep, would be like, ah, mm-hmm. sleep is for the week or we'll sleep when we're dead. Like, statements like that and I used to thrive on that I'd be like yeah I'm I'm losing sleep because I'm doing this and then I wear it like a badge Mm -hmm. of honor because I used to do Mm -hmm. like I used to be on radio and I used to have a night show so I would finish work by 12 midnight by the time I get into bed it's like 2 a.m and it was tough you know but I didn't really see the repercussions of of that kind of sleep cycle because I was like ah you know I'm young and my bosses would tell me you're young suck it up right Sure. Yeah. I didn't realize the kind of effects it had on my body until I left the job. And I was like, I physically Mm. feel better. I know I look better (laughs) too. And it just changes your entire body, your your entire system. Completely. And and you hit a, a very good point and it's not on the video, but it's about the time you know, a lot of people still say, and, and, you know, some of them, you can't get away from being a shift worker. It just is what it is with, with, you know, the way work works, but also our society, our culture tends to kind of, you know, we say that, yes, you should work as much as possible. You know, you can rest when you're older, blah, blah, blah. But it, your body isn't about that. Your body is like, no, no, no. Brain needs eight hours. Brain needs to have a clean brain for the next morning. Otherwise your body's going to, suffer and then of course your mind suffers you have memory issues and on all of that if you go to bed at two in the morning and you get six hours it's actually not the same as if you went to bed at 9 p.m and got six hours so you could wake up like earlier but because you went to bed earlier the the brain and the body are secreting hormones actually quite specific to time because we do have you know our biological clock mm. it is linked to 24 hours of day and night so um people that work at night they tend to have you know issues later down the line breast cancer in women they've seen nurses that work at night have a higher incidence of breast cancer because they're working uh, you know later hours or doing night shift versus daytime work and their body is exposed to artificial light wow. which does have an effect so it's timing is is an interesting area too that we should think about like okay i'm not just going to you know get some 5 6 hours of sleep it it needs to happen at night mhm and what would you say is like a like a good structure, like a good structured sleep cycle? Because I know time and duration play a part. So if you could recommend mm-hmm. it to the everyday person, what would your recommendation <laughs> be? I think for the everyday person, again, try to get to bed at least, you know, around 10. Um, that way you can start secreting some hormones that are the early phase mm-hmm. of sleep. Prolactin, for example, and we can talk about this in a bit, but this is also pretty interesting in today's world because of the research that's coming up around COVID-19 and sleep. Um, And there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of research still to be done in this area, but 
there are special sort of antimicrobial, let's say, um, mechanisms that are occurring in the brain at an earlier part of the sleep cycle versus the later part. So again, you know, it, timing is critical because if you're going to bed super late, you might miss out on this window and right. you might not get the best protection, say, for your brain's immunity against a virus like COVID-19, like the SARS-CoV-2. Wow. Okay. That's really cool. So it's essentially saying, well, if you sleep earlier and you get better sleep, <laughs> the, the chance yeah. of you getting COVID is lesser. So you're keeping your immune at its best. You know, it's all about like, how can you have your optimum brain space, your optimum body, your optimum performance. Yeah. Um, and the way to optimize your performance and the brain's performance is sleep. I think that's the one of the, the best ways. Imagine you get a cold, right? You get sick. Um, one of the best ways to kind of get rid of the cold faster is it's actually sleeping. sleeping. Yeah. You know, you kind of feel so much better after you have like a 12 hour sleep, especially if you have the flu. Yeah. And the reason is because that sleep is shutting your body down. So you have nothing else to do except have that brain and body repair itself. Mm -hmm. And we're very, very good at, you know, creating the antibodies and creating the right messengers to fight infections. So yes, I think the the latest thing is that sleep is a big part of protecting our brain's immunity. And then of course, if you take it down to the more granular level, melatonin in particular has been shown to be effective against COVID-19 again on this topic. That's insane. And so relevant for, you know, whatever's happening <laughs> right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we're getting into different strains. We're getting uh, our new variants. We're getting into different winter seasons across the world. So it's, um, it is very important to maintain, you know, your body and brain's immunity at its optimum. And I'll just end on this because, you know, there's probably so much more we can talk about, but they very recently discovered that the lungs produce melatonin. You know, the lungs are also equipped for melatonin and wow. so it's not just the brain and that's what I love about my work is that I will talk about things like estrogen in your skin I'll talk about things like melatonin from your lungs so something that's just not what you normally think <laughs> yeah. because that's how that is how our body mm -hmm. works and so the fact that the lungs produce or are at least have receptors for melatonin um, again very very new research I still have to read through a lot of that um, means that uh, it, the melatonin that you might be taking or that you have in your body's production is critical for performance of other parts outside of the brain, for, for example, the lungs. So to keep your lungs healthy, melatonin is also necessary. Damn. Thank you for that. <laughs> another, another nugget of information that I did not know yeah. about. Wow. And, you know, is there a direct correlation between sleep and say your mood? Because I mean, this is just like, mm -hmm. for me feeling it out, I felt like the years mm -hmm. that I wasn't sleeping well, I, I was a different person altogether. Like I just felt mm -hmm. like my emotional well-being wasn't as good as mm -hmm. compared to right now when I'm like, you know, on a better sleep cycle, I'm really taking care of my body, basically. Mm -hmm. I just feel like there is some sort of correlation, but I would love to hear it from you. <laughs> yes, um, there definitely is. You know, from more psychological studies, we've seen how sleep deprivation affects mood. It changes people's mood from being just general 
normal to very irritable um, because your body is irritated. Sleep deprivation is increased inflammation. So, it, it, you know, inflammation hits people in different ways. So it could be, your, it could affect your gut more. So you have problems with digestion or, you know, that could lead to the microbiome changing even there. Or it could lead to skin changes. And so your skin is dry and it's just patchy and irritated and red and, you know, or it just is completely psychological and it's more mood and irritability and um, trouble focusing, you know, trouble with memory. Um, so a lot of cognitive changes are also directly linked to sleep deprivation. And we see this in the brain in terms of the science. You know, there's very specific um, pathways um, affecting specific regions, the hippocampus, like I mentioned, learning and memory. So if you're stressed, one of the areas most vulnerable to stress in the brain is the hippocampus. Um, and so when that area becomes kind of attacked, let's say by stress, then you suffer, you know, the memory suffers that learning um, abilities can also suffer. And the amygdala, you know, is our kind of our seat of emotions. And so if this area is always kind of over activated, then mood is also uh, could be affected. So I think one thing you mentioned was when you are deprived of sleep, it shows on your skin. And I see that mm -hmm. that's very much in your work, right? You talk, mm -hmm. I mean, when we talk about skincare, very often we talk about surface level stuff and I, no pun intended, mm -hmm. but you know, yeah. you're all about getting into the, getting to the root of it. So I love what you said in one of your works about how, when you have a calm mind, you have calm skin. So can you tell mm -hmm. us more about that? For sure. Um, so that's definitely one of my, you know, my mottos that I end a lot of my lectures is, you know, listen to your skin listen to your body and you can't calm the skin until you calm the mind. And, and the reason is because of inflammation again. So if the mind is altered, you know, with psychological stress or anxiety, depression, um, this is going to have an effect on the body as well. You know, we have seen changes in the gut. We've seen changes in the skin. Um, somebody that has a very visible skin condition like acne, you know, with lots of breakouts everywhere, very red, or other more genetically, you know, inclined diseases like psoriasis, vitiligo. These are very visible diseases. And because they're so visible, if you see someone on the street, you know, chances are if you have that condition, somebody will give you a weird look. And that doesn't make you feel good, right? And so because you are constantly in distress about your own skin and your own condition, that then goes up into that vicious cycle of uh, now I feel anxious mm. and now I feel stressed and I might even feel depressed. Mm -hmm. So it becomes a vicious cycle and the way to break the cycle, sometimes the easiest way is to break the, at the level of the mind first, you know, calming the mind. There's so many ways to de-stress, you know, you mentioned, you know, getting back into your good sleep hygiene, good sleep routine, but there's so many things you can do. You can meditate, you can take long walks, you can be in nature, you can listen to music, you can, you know, pet a furry friend, mm -hmm. like a cat or a dog or whatever you have nearby, um, <laughs> they don't scratch you. So many things that we can do to de-stress that really, really does have an impact on our brain and then ultimately our body. That's like skincare on the brain level, right? Taking care of our skin yeah. by taking care of our mind. I love that. Absolutely. What's really interesting is that when we talk about the five senses, we also just, we think of it in a very basic sense, but I know mm -hmm. for neuroscientists, it goes way beyond that because the brain informs the five senses, but you look at each sense very individually. And I mm -hmm. think what I found really fascinating about one of your um, blog posts 
was the discovery of a certain bunch of nerves called the C-tactile mm-hmm. fibers, if I'm not wrong. Yeah. And yes, yeah. This was interesting because apparently this bunch of nerves sends information to a different part of your brain that processes a different thing entirely. So please break it yeah. down. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I would love to. So, you know, nowadays we we know so much more about the body. We know that there are more than, you know, those salty, sour tastes in our taste buds. And then we've seen them in the different regions. We also know that there's more than just the five senses. You know, we know, of, of course, we know sight, hearing, vision, smell, um, touch, but there's also proprioception, which is um, how you understand your body in three dimensions. So I know that I'm sitting, I know that I'm standing, I know that I'm upside down, even if I can't see, you know that you're upside down <laughs> because of gravity, right? Um, so so that is another sense, but the the thing that we cannot turn off, you know, I some of some of my talks I start with this. You know, you can kind of pinch your nose, you can pretend that you can't smell, um, you can close your eyes, you can pretend that you can't see, you can you know plug your ears and you can pretend that you can't hear, but can you actually sit there and pretend that you can't feel? It's basically impossible. There's always something. It's a wind. It's the temperature. Mm-hmm. It's your chair it's your feet on the ground. It's always something. We can never detach from our sense of touch. So that's why I love the sense of touch. I love, you know, anything to do with this because it is so much that crux between brain and body. What you mentioned are specific nerve bundles that are in the skin and they were kind of rediscovered in the well i guess discovered but we've obviously been with these nerves for (laughs) since the beginning of humanity right so they initially saw these in cats um maybe a hundred years ago and so in the late in the 90s um, swedish researchers were actually looking at these nerve bundles in the skin and they discovered um, what's known as c tactile fibers or ct fibers and these are kind of these large diameter nerves that are found in our skin but they're only found in hairy skin which is basically your entire body except your palms the palms of your hands and the soles of your feet because that's a different kind of skin that doesn't have hair (laughs) but everywhere else can have hair so if it can have hair it has hair follicles if it has this kind of tech you know this structure it has um, c-tactile fibers now if you think of your sense of touch um You can put your hand on something that's cold. Mm -hmm. You know that it's cold, it's hot. You know that it's soft, it's rough. You know that it's smooth, it's rough. So there's a lot of things that our skin, especially in the fingertips, you know, processes so quickly. It's just zoom, goes into the brain. I'm cold, put that fire out, right? You're burning. Like it has to be very fast because we need to react to our environment. But the C-tactile fibers are not speeding their way to the brain and they're not going to the area called the somatosensory cortex which is what tells you what you've touched they're kind of slowly walking and making their way (laughs) to something called the insular cortex okay the insular cortex is where a lot of our emotions get processed Um, and so this part of the brain tells you how you feel when you've been touched. Ah, I felt that guy, that woman touch me, my arm, and it felt oh, nice. This feels good. I could, 
this feels good (laughs) exactly and this is where it gets really interesting because you have an intention right behind a touch and so if the intention is negative it's not going to feel good um one of the examples you know that i give is say you you have a boyfriend or a girlfriend and they give you a nice little caress you know with the back of their hand on your cheek So you're like, ah, that feels nice. That's great. But if you're in the middle of a fight and your significant other tries to stroke you in the face, you're going to be like, excuse me. No, we're not. No, 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 (laughs) you need to stop. Uh, That does not feel good anymore. That's because your frontal cortex, your cognitive brain has overridden the emotional brain and said, I know that this is supposed to feel good, but I'm not having it right now. We are in this conversation. (laughs) Let's let's call it off. So. Let's call that one off. Um, Yes, we can talk about pleasure later, but right now we're in an argument and we're going to deal with this. So that's how the brain works. And that's how these bundles work. Wow. That's insane. That's insane. Like the more I know from you, the more I'm just like, our brain is spectacular. And I know that's such a weird thing to say, but I'm sure like from a neuroscientist point of view, like, hell yeah, I study the brain. I know how amazing it is. Yeah. Yeah. And there's always so much more to learn. That's what I love about it. So I want to, I want to break it down. Like what I've understood Mm -hmm. from you, you mentioned that this is well, available to us, air quotes, mm-hmm. uh, on the skin or in the skin that has hair on it, right? So let's yeah. say I touch someone on their arm, the, the portion that mm-hmm. has hair, but when I'm touching yeah. them, it's like using my palm and that's a skin that has yeah. no hair. So in a way, wouldn't it be like, uh, are we basically personifying that we, we never know what's the impact of our touch on someone does it make sense it's like we don't know the impact of our touch and our care on someone else until we get it ourselves yeah and that's a very you know it's very it's very interesting how you're saying it because yes we're using the palm of our hands um but think of a massage a massage therapist if you get a massage and and you're lying down you can't see the person but their head is not in it you can also feel it you're like Uh, that touch you know it's technically okay but you're not you're not giving me my one hour yeah (laughs) you know your your mind is somewhere else somehow we can sense that um and that's what is so fascinating about these nerves is they are transmitting emotions through skin a very physical you know touch the other thing is linguistics you know in the english language at least it plays it's so fascinating to me how words and and idioms and language has really you know paralleled our our experience in the world have you ever heard of someone saying oh you know what they rubbed me the wrong way yeah oh my god <laughs> so, <laughs> this is where it comes so, from <laughs> so yes so get this if you rub that hairy skin the wrong way it doesn't feel as good <laughs> because Oh my each gosh. Follicle, yeah, each follicle. I know I wish you you guys could see this. Yeah. I'm, you know, widely <laughs> explaining with my hands and arms, but each follicle, the hair is actually not doesn't come out direct perpendicular to the skin. It is usually a little bit of an angle. So when you rub kind of a cat, for example, fur mm-hmm. in the right way down the fur, it feels super nice. But if you kind of rub it the other way and catch that, they're not going to like it. Your dog's going to be like, no, can you go the other way, please? It's not, it's not feel good. <laughs> so um, 
again, this is something that is so specific. These fibers, by the way, are only activated at three centimeters per second. Um, that, that means that if you touch someone and you rub them vigorously, that's not going to feel good. It's gonna. It's yeah. not gonna feel good. Um, if you go too slow, that might it's also kind of weird. Awkward. Though it's like your brain's like, this is weird. It's weird. It's right? not the right speed for me. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. And ideally, it is at ninety-eight point six degrees Fahrenheit, oh which is God. our body temperature. The specifics. <laughs> I am not kidding. This is a specific human touch. That is very, very specific to how we've we've grown as humans. And being such social animals that we are, we need this. Like we we physically cannot survive without this. There's something that newborns um, get called kangaroo care. So if you have an infant that is premature, for example, they cannot thrive until they're really touched. And so they get a lot of skin to skin contact. Um, and, and even regular babies, you know, I put my baby on my skin when he was a newborn and the skin to skin contact actually helps the right. brain develop better. It helps the lungs develop better. It helps the heart develop better. So we know this now that it is crucial for our development. And only now with, you know, 2020 being the crazy mm-hmm year that it was um now we know that touch deprivation is going to be the next issue like sleep deprivation was i mean i i felt it when people were all like oh you know i miss contact with people and i'm like yeah but i also don't really like being touched by you know people like i'm okay like i like my own personal space obviously i miss being close to the Mm -hmm. people that Mm -hmm. i want to be close to Mm -hmm. but it never really like until I hear you say it and how mm-hmm. important it is for human beings and I guess all living animals, all living things to, to have that closeness. Um, I didn't really see mm-hmm. the effects. I mean, when you tell me touch deprivation, I'm really starting to get it now. And I, you know, I can see how it affects other people more than others through yeah. like prolonged living alone and stuff like that. Like I'm lucky to you know, be surrounded by family and we still have friends here and all that, but I can only imagine for the people who are alone, alone. Yeah, that would be hard. But it's interesting because like you really broke it down Mm -hmm. for us, right? And gave us the specifics of how to, well, caress someone, I would say. Which brings me to this little bonus question that Mm -hmm. I've been thinking about. And I was like, I think you are the best person to ask because you're a neuroscientist. So who better to answer this question, right? Knowing the specifics and how the brain works. Do you believe love is as simple as a chemical reaction in our brain? Can you please demystify it or you know give it to us is it really just a chemical (laughs) reaction (laughs) I think there's so much to love and can you make a potion can you make a love potion if I were to make a love potion I would put oxytocin into a nasal spray which has been done it's very easy to do that in a lab and you will get a reaction oh my god that's (laughs) modern day witchcraft it's complete witchcraft. It's science. it's science, actually. It's like it's science. It works. Yeah. Um, you can increase compassion this way. You can increase um, bonding. You know, you there's a lot that can happen if you, you know, squirt some oxytocin up your nose. Um, it's very true. Is this going to be kind of long-lasting love? Uh, probably not. Um, that does wear off. And then they might be like, you put oxytocin in my nose. I can't trust you. <laughs> so... Um, you know, we're very complicated humans. We're very complicated creatures. I think that 
you cannot just bottle up love. There's so many, so many different types of love. You know, there's all the way from just straight lust to this kind of everlasting love to fraternal love, the love that we feel for animals, like you mentioned, because they need to be touched too. They love being touched, animals, especially mammals in particular, because they have hair. And so when when they don't get it, I don't know if you've seen the TikToks when you pretend to to pet yeah. them and then you you don't, yeah. and they're like <laughs> they're like uh, why? <laughs> if I get closer, if I get closer, will you do it? <laughs> so um, yeah, all animals love to be touched, and that is also love. And so I think love as a as a genre, as an you know, it's too complicated and there's just too much to it to really digest it down to a bottle of you know serotonin oxytocin a little dash of norepinephrine to give you that adrenaline rush um so, i love that you have an ingredient list it's perfect <laughs> yes. it's so cute it's like yeah I can, I can go down the line i know what makes you take i can make you fall in yeah. love with me um yeah. yeah but you know especially when you mentioned you know how like scientifically our hair our hair is not like standing up straight it's at an angle and so if you caress this person at this speed at this you know place it's gonna get a reaction out of that person right so I'm just thinking in an experiment if all these variables line up right I touch you the right way you know (laughs) I give you oxytocin would yeah. it eventually lead to that person having feelings for me, right? Not not to say that I want to yeah. create it, but yeah, I just think it's so fascinating that you, yes, you can actually engineer mm. feelings mm-hmm. because it is a chemical reaction in the brain, but I love that you said it's it's not long lasting and longevity in love is something that we, I guess, as human beings haven't fully unlocked or you yeah. know, fully discovered. And that's in a way really beautiful Yes, totally. We might be able to engineer a lot of it, but there's always something, you know, humans are just so good at catching those nuances. There's always something that might be off, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and that we don't know yet. Maybe there's another, you know, neurochemical in there that, that we don't know. Um, Or maybe the temperature is wrong, but (laughs) there's always a little bit something that might be like, you know, I'm starting to feel this potential of love but I don't know what it is it's it's foreign to me because for us as humans you know falling in love has been such a natural thing just like caressing you don't need a scientist to tell you to rub somebody's arm at three centimeters squared you know it it is uh, you know just your own intuition you can just naturally pet a pet or or rub a baby um, Mm -hmm. or caress somebody and you kind of just do it you know how you do it. That's yeah. how, you, how we are. When it's off, then we know it's off. Um, but, you know, it's so interesting because this, I think, you know, I also talk a lot about the future. If we're able to engineer feelings, then we're able to create a program that does that, which means we're able to artificially produce feelings, which means can we introduce feelings of love and empathy, for example, into a non-human machine. And this is not the first time anybody has ever thought this. Um, It is something that people are looking into. And we just, as humans, have to kind of really sit back and think about if it's something that 
is going to be beneficial for us as humanity or not or is it going to be you know that's crazy though. to our device yeah yeah i mean tons of movies have been made about this yeah. theory right that's crazy yeah. if that were to happen but the fact that we can even conjure up something like that in modern age mm -hmm. modern science it's yeah it's crazy wow yeah <laughs> <laughs> things to think about wow Thank you so much though, Dr. Claudia. I mean, I loved every minute of chatting with you. This has been mind blowing mm -hmm. again, no pun intended, <laughs> maybe a little bit <laughs> at this point, but um, tell us where can we find you and your work? Um, so I'm online. Um, you can just go to my website, drclaudia.com. It's just spelled out D-O-C-T-O-R-C-L-A-U-D-I-A. -A. I'm on social media, everything from Twitter to Clubhouse to Instagram. Um, I only kind of, you know, lurk on, on TikTok. So I am not posting TikToks, but I just think it's so funny. Um, yeah. So yeah, mostly social media. If you guys want to reach out, I'm on there. And of course my blog is neurowellness.drclaudia.com. A lot of good bits in there, you guys. So if you're interested after hearing this episode, please go check out her work and be fascinated by <laughs> more that she has written on there. Um, <laughs> but yes, thank you so much for your time today. And you know, when this all clears up and you do get the chance to come to Singapore, I would love to meet you in person and geek out more about <laughs> what you've discovered by then. <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. That would be super fun. <laughs>